Before we read the scripture, I'm just going to sort of set the stage uh, about uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning. So the, the sermon is titled, Clarity in Confusion. And um, this is a message that we, that, that's part of a series that we're in uh, on the resurrection of, of Jesus. So we've been, we've been moving through the life of Jesus, through his teachings and the, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Jesus in his divinity and the, the, the statements he makes about himself uh, in terms of his divinity and the I am statements. And uh, then we went through a, a period of time during Lent that we looked at Jesus's humanity. Uh, and now, as we are in the third week of Easter, we're continuing our series on the resurrection of Jesus. That something new that had never taken place before or since happened in human history. And as a result of that, one event, we're, we're here this morning uh, looking at a book that's thousands of years old and applying it to our lives. The resurrection of a man who claimed to be God. And this, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it, uh, it focuses on a, a couple of disciples, and they're confused about this. And uh, I, can, I can empathize with confusion about maybe that a, a man raised from the dead. And we're going we're gonna to look at their reactions to that, and, and we're going to learn a lot. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be encouraged. But... For many of us in this room, we've heard that idea that, you know, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead uh, for, for a lot of our lives. We, we might have grown up in a church, seen crosses everywhere. Not, not all of us, but, but most of us have. And so when we're looking at this passage, uh, what I want us to, to, to really be able to grab hold of and think about and, and wrestle through is that there are things for us right now that might be that might bring us into a state of, of confusion about stuff that we've, we've believed for a long time, we've seen for a long time, we've heard for a long time about our faith and how that faith interacts with the world. And that um, sometimes our response to that confusion causes us to miss out on Jesus and causes us to miss out on what he's doing in the world. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, there are lots of examples about how the huge portions of the evangelical uh, American church has, has missed out on, on a lot of things uh, that God is doing in history and, and, and doing today. And so I hope that as we look at this passage, it can, it can bring some clarity to us and also some confusion. I want I want you to feel both of those things as, as we look at this passage. I think both of them are very related and important for us to consider. So um, I'm doing things all out of order this morning. Uh, I have no quote in the bulletin because I just could not find the quote I wanted to put in that bulletin. And I said, I don't care. And I sent an email and I said, no bulletin quote in that email, just so everybody knew and it was clear. And then I'm going to do something else. That's right. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I'm going to do something else out of order. I'm going to read you a scripture, and you're not going to stand up, and then I'm going to read you the scripture that we're, that we're working from this morning. All right? Yeah. It's getting real crazy up here. Yeah. Some of y'all need more plans on a Friday night if that's really getting you excited. This is a scripture from Acts 17, and, and it is a group of people, of religious people, talking about these Christians, who are also religious people, but talking about their impact on the world. It's from Acts 17, verse 6 and 7. It says, the Jews who formed a mob to capture Paul and Silas after they were preaching the kingdom of God described them as people who have been turning the world upside down. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. That's a description 
of some of the earliest Christians, that they were turning the world upside down. That's not the bulk of Christianity that I've grown up with. The bulk of Christianity I've grown up with is protecting the status quo and, and the norms of society and, 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 and aligning with political parties and all of these types of things that are completely contrary to the description we see of Christians here. Here's something that uh, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said about Western Christianity uh, over 50 years ago that I think applies to, to the situation we find ourselves in right now. He said this, Western Christians have too long been identified with a comfortable, stable existence to adapt readily to a world of change. Yet this is just what God requires of us in these times. We must not forsake our earlier efforts to bring the world to Christ merely because it does not come to Christ as we imagine. Merely because it does not come to Christ as we imagine. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to consider that there are times in our faith, in our life, and how we connect or don't connect our heart to our mind, that there are places of confusion that we have to go through in order to bring the clarity about in our lives that at some point somebody might say what they said about Paul and Silas about us, about this group of believers right there. They are turning the whole freaking world upside down. So let's stand for the reading of the word now. It comes to us from Luke chapter 24, and it starts in verse 13, and it goes to verse 35. There's Bibles on the end of the row as well if you don't have one and you'd like to look. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home with you. Why can't I find my right page? Here we go. Hear the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened about the, the death of Jesus. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us 
while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the long and wonderful word of the Lord. You may be seated. I think that's the longest narrative in the New Testament. Uh, if it's not the longest, it's, it's up there. It's in the top three. Never thought you'd hear a top three about that, did you? In our, um, in our message this morning, we've got, we've got a situation where these two disciples, they're not, they're not the main guys, they're not the the 12 that we get to read all the details about. They're, they're two other disciples. We just hear one of their names, and they're walking, and it's the, it's the third day. It's resurrection day, unbeknownst to them. And they're walking, and they're talking about Jesus and how, they were, how disappointed they were and how sad they are and just all the events that took place. And they're, they're confused, and they're saddened, and they're disappointed and let down. And then uh, this guy just starts kind of strolling up and walking beside them and kind of eavesdropping on their conversation. And he kind of draws near, and, and unbeknownst to them, it's Jesus. That, that would be the weirdest thing in the world I could imagine. A dead guy walks up and eavesdrop on a conversation you're having about him and just kind of like trots a little closer to you and starts asking you questions. Oh, what you talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, what? You don't know, right? And it's Jesus talking to him. And, and so then, then as the conversation goes on, all of a sudden, Jesus rebukes them, says they're slow of heart. And then he just lay, he lays it all out. He's like, here's what actually happened. Here's where it, where it says in the scriptures. And then he just starts to walk off. He just starts to walk away. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait. Hey, come, come back. Come stay with us. It's, it's almost nighttime anyways. Where are you, you going to go? And Jesus is like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll stay with you. Like he just kind of pretended that he was walking away. And so then they go and they eat and they're talking, or they're talking and they sit down to eat. And Jesus takes the bread and he does probably the, the normal Jewish blessing of the meal. And he, he breaks the bread. And in that instant... Not before, only in the breaking of bread in their home, in the place that they were staying, did they recognize him. And he vanishes. And then they go run and tell everybody, we saw Jesus. And they're like, yeah, we did too. That's the story that we're looking at for the next few minutes. And uh, in this story, there's, there's three three. Um, points, ideas that I want us to consider. They'll be up on the screen. The first one is uh, that Jesus shows up in unexpected conversations. The second is that to understand the Jesus way requires heart, not just mind, as we sang about earlier. And the third, third point Confusion can lead to renewed clarity. So, Jesus showing up in these unexpected conversations. The first first thing here that I see in the text that that really caught my attention is is that these two disciples, they they were kept from recognizing Jesus. They were kept from recognizing Jesus. And so I really looked into that, script, that, that passage and, and I was trying to find out, is this, was this something that God did? And, and most everybody looking at the passage says, yeah, it's that, that God actually kept them from recognizing Jesus. And so then I had to ask, well, why? And, and, and does that ever happen to us? Is, is, is Jesus ever in our midst? The incarnate God the resurrected way, truth, and life? Is he ever in our midst? And for some reason, maybe God keeps us from being able to recognize him, but, but recognize him in like a superficial way, a, a superficial spirituality, if you will, will or, a, or, or a, t- a topical sort of theology way. 
that, that maybe sometimes we've been in a conversation with someone or a book. Maybe we've been in conversation with a book we're reading or, or an idea. And Jesus was there. But we couldn't recognize him. And so I'm wondering, why, why would that be? Why, why would God do that? Why would he hide our ability to see them? And, and as I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking that maybe if they were able to recognize Jesus physically, they might not be able to get the deeper lesson, the deeper principle or the deeper understanding that Jesus had intended for them. That maybe sometimes, uh, especially those of us who are, are, are really steeped in religion, who grew up in the church like I did, that we hear or we see a certain thing. We hear a certain type of scripture. We hear a certain type of person saying a certain thing. And we say, oh yeah, that's, that's Jesus. I, I recognize that. That's, that's Jesus on that. And so maybe, maybe Jesus intended here to keep something like that from happening, to keep the disciples here, the followers, from going back to what they already knew. Because what they knew, how they had seen the scriptures thus far, it, it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't good enough. Uh, for, for what Jesus was trying to show them and teach them. And so, uh, here's, here's the interesting thing. I'm a teacher, and uh, I, I go around and I teach all over the country, and I do demo teachings in, in people's classrooms. And, uh, and I teach these, these, these methods and these ways of, of connecting and helping students cooperate and talk to each other and solve problems and do all, all of these higher order thinking tasks is what we call it. So I'll go into a school in Brooklyn where there's kids running up and down the hall and yelling and cussing their teachers out. And I go into these classrooms and, I, and then I do demo teachings and I play this, this uh this music and we do, we get in a circle and we have these discussions and we build groups together and we do all this, all this stuff in order to, to build teamwork and community. And the funny thing is, is, is so I'm doing it for the teachers to watch. And so after the, the demo teaching, I'm sitting with a group of teachers and sometimes a teacher, I ask, so what stood out to you? What did you see? And sometimes a teacher will say, well, I saw that there was this one kid and he had a frown on his face the whole time. And I say, okay, well, what else did you see? Nothing. And inside, I'm screaming. I'm, I'm screaming like, are you serious? Can you actually be serious? That's all you saw. But what I learned and what I think what's part of what I'm seeing in this passage here is that we're all seeing the same things. We all are seeing the same things, but we're not all seeing the same things. You hear me? We're looking at the same Bible. We're looking at the same world, but we don't all see the same things. And I think Jesus is helping these disciples and helping us wrestle through that conundrum. It's an idea, it's another education idea of literacy. Because when we put words up on the screen, we've all had exposure to being learned, we've learned how to speak English. And so when we see those words on the screen and we've been taught to read, we see words, we see ideas. But somebody else unfamiliar with English is looking at those same letters and they're seeing nothing. They're just seeing letters. I mean, uh, lines and shapes. And they might say, oh, those are some pretty lines and shapes. So the first thing I want us to think about is we realize that Jesus can show up in unexpected conversations, conversations with people that you would never think had anything to do with Jesus, is that we're seeing the same thing, but we're not always seeing the same thing. This should get you a little bit uncomfortable this should make you a little bit confused that if you're used to being able to look and say, oh yeah, Jesus is there and he's not there. That person, when he or she speaks, that's Jesus coming out. When they speak, there's never Jesus coming out of there. I have been in a conversation with a person who in one breath said he did not believe in God and in the next breath, he was bowing his head to receive Christ. And so Jesus can show up in places 
and in conversations that we may not expect him to and we might miss him. We might miss out. So what does Jesus do in this conversation? Well, he brings a lot of questions. Let's look back at the text together here. He starts off with some questions. Let's find out where that first happens. So they're walking together, and in verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only one in Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. Luke's being really ironic there, giving us that passage, because we know, as the readers, that Jesus is the only one that knows what happened right now. And the funny thing is, is they're asking him, like, are you the only one who doesn't know? And he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And he asks him another question. It had to be really hard not to give it away right there for Jesus. Like, there was just be a perfect punchline for him, but he resisted because he's the son of God, and he knows the right time to give a punchline. No dad jokes here, right? I'm good at dad jokes. So, he, he, then, then he, he asks them in verse 19, what things? And they say, oh yeah, concerning, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was this great prophet and all this. And so Jesus is just sitting here asking them questions, just letting them get all their stuff out, just letting it all come out. They're engaging long enough in the conversation that Jesus is, is allowing them to hear their own thinking processes and see what's really going on. In, a, in, in many religious conversations that I've had, Christian or otherwise, sometimes the conversation gets cut short so quickly because people are so ready to get to their maxims and their dogmas and their, uh, well, it's all this, or well, it's all that, and well, Jesus just died, and so that's the end of that conversation. And what I think our church is being called to do is this, though is wrestle, is, is let the ideas come out, is, is, is let the dialogue take place back and forth, realizing that Jesus does that same thing, that Jesus might be in those details rather than in the big flashing cross sign. God might be keeping us from seeing those obvious things so we can wrestle with him through the things that we need to get out, the stuff inside. Because uh, underneath those ideas, those maxims, those dogmas, those things that we just throw out there is probably something we're afraid of. It's probably something we haven't actually addressed in our own hearts. And so in order to stay away from that, we say, well, Jesus died on the cross of my sins. We get it out real quick. I almost had to address something deep down in my heart that's been there since I was a little kid or has been there for the the whole time I've been married or has been there since that thing that happened to me when I was a teenager or that someone did to me when I was a teenager or that thing I did to someone else. But Jesus doesn't let that happen with these guys. It might sound like this sometimes. There's, there's, a couple, there's a couple categories of people. You might find yourself in, in, in one of these categories that we can do specific things we can cut those moments off with. We might say something like this, and I'm not saying there's never a time when you can say these things or that afterwards at lunch, if somebody says that, you should joke and say, oh, the preacher said not to say that, so I don't care about that. I'm just trying to help you sort of think about, are there things you do that cut off a conversation that Jesus could be in the midst of? So, somebody says something and and you respond, whether it's in person or most likely on Facebook. It's really, uh, but uh, I hear what you're saying, but it's really plain in Scripture that my way of thinking is totally validated by Scripture and yours is totally invalidated by Scripture. Whew. Uh, Anybody ever said that one? Don't raise your hand. But many of us might have said that, might have typed that before. Or somebody says something and your immediate response is, I just don't see that in scripture. Oh, so you've got the whole scriptures memorized. You know what? The Pharisees did. They actually did have 
all the scriptures memorized. And Jesus was constantly saying stuff that they didn't see in scripture. So even if you're seeing the same thing, you're not seeing the same thing, right? So we got to be careful how quickly we get there, about how quickly we pride ourselves in our knowledge of things, because we could be missing something and someone. We could be missing Jesus and part of the gospel and this new resurrection, this new life, this thing that makes everything new. How could you have the monopoly on that? How could you? If he's making all things new, we got learning to do. Now, yesterday, and forever, we're learning. We are disciples of Jesus, right? We're following him. So, but you might not fit into that, that same kind of category. Uh, you might more fit into another way. Not, you're not one of the, of course it's like this. Oh wait, there's one more I forgot to mention. One that I've heard a lot. Now this is, this, is, uh, this kind of uh, gives a temperature to things for me in a conversation. Didn't Jesus say that the poor would always be among us? That's a conversation stopper right there. Because it shows what you see when you look at scripture. Because what I see when I look at scripture about that is about 5,000 passages about caring for the poor. So we're looking at the same Bible, but we ain't coming away with the same stuff. We ain't seeing the exact same Jesus. And so there is... Uh, some humility that has to take place here. And we see that in these disciples, and I see that in many of you. So in some instances here, I'm just preaching to the choir. But, you know, that's who comes to church, right? The choir. (laughs) I hope we have a choir one day. So um, that other group of people I was talking about, You might not be prideful and and, and think you know everything about Scripture and and tell everybody what what is or isn't in Scripture, but you might be sort of resigned to what life is like, that it's just, it's not worth really talking about these things because it just is what it is. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And I just had to do what I had to do because I didn't believe that the resurrection could really make, yeah, I'll say it and I'll go to church maybe and I'll take communion, I'll do these things. But at the end of the day, I just gotta do what I gotta do. I just gotta make it through life. I just gotta practice my business principles this way. I just gotta lie to get what I need in life this way. So you might find yourself kind of dipping into into one of those two responses that kind of cut those conversations short that Jesus could be in the midst of. This This is not unique to religious people, though. This is just unique to humanity. We tend to um, get comfortable and then reject anything that is uncomfortable for us. So uh, anybody ever heard of a guy called Copernicus? He had this crazy idea that, that the world uh, revolved around the sun. And um, in the Western world, is very religious, very Christian, and everybody freaked out, called him a heretic. Another guy, Galileo, said the same thing, different ways, applying new principles, and everybody freaked out on him. They thought they knew. They thought they had a monopoly on what, where God was. Turns out, God's wrong, unless you're, unless you're a flat, flat earther, um, that, that God's right. And that what we can observe is actually really important. Not just what one person uh, thinks is in here, right? Take some humility. Uh, another, another situation like that, electricity. Did you know there were a whole bunch of people in this whole camp uh, defending to the death, uh, using uh, whale blubber and petroleum to, to light candles and stuff like that? I mean, they were, they were sure that electricity was not the way to go and we needed to keep using oil like that. There was this one guy, he will remain nameless, he's not even worth mentioning by name, he kept bringing people to this forum to electrocute dogs to show how dangerous electricity was because he was so scared 
of just this new idea, this, this new thing. He even tried to electrocute a horse one time. It's really bad. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in this book called Empire of Lights, The Race to Electrify the World. It's a pretty good book. Um, for me, I'll give you, I'll, I'll bring it on, bring it on down to home. Uh, marriage. Yeah, when I got married, I, I had a I had an idea of what marriage would be like. It'd be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna have this partner and we're gonna do all the same things that I like to do right now. I'll just have this partner with me and like, we'll have fun together and you know, we'll you know, be intimate and do all these great things, go on dates and oh wait, you wanna eat dinner together like every night? Okay, all right, I didn't grow up doing that. That's cool. Um, you, I have to put the laundry up folded this way? Can you show me that again? Um, The knives go down in the dishwasher, but the spoons go up? Okay. All right. What I saw and what I thought marriage would be was different. Once I got there, once I arrived into that dialogue and that conversation, and guess what? I found a lot of Jesus in that. I found a lot of Jesus in having to rearrange my understanding of reality, because that's what I had to do. That's what marriage took for me. I had to die to my beliefs about what the world looked like, and I had to be resurrected post-marriage life what that looks like. That was one for me. So, you know, Jesus, he comes alongside these disciples and he does it in a really comforting way. And he just kind of asks some questions. And he lets them talk and be sad and all that kind of stuff. But then, uh, then all of a sudden, he starts a sentence. He starts a statement. And the statement in verse 25 says, Oh, foolish ones. The way they use fool in the Bible is like, is like when you're standing on the, on the, at the corner store, like out front, like, what up, fool? It's like everybody's a fool in the Bible all the time. I'm like, Jesus, dang, I do not get the dialect of the time because I don't see how you go from there to, hey, fool. Like, it just didn't fit to me, but I didn't live 2,000 years ago either. So Jesus, he's comforting and kind, but he's also our shepherd, And he's also a gardener pruning us. So he gets to this point and he lets them get it all out and wrestle these things and see that there's something really significant going on here. And then in verse 25, follow me there in verse 25, he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets and so on and so forth. I find it interesting that he says, slow of heart. Because you might imagine in our Western post-enlightenment world that he would say slow of mind. Like, didn't they just not get the ideas? Didn't they just not add it up properly? That like the, the prophet said these things that in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who's, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was pierced for our iniquities. I think I've mixed, got those backwards, but you know what I mean. Um, Did they not add those things up properly and see that that was the conclusion? Mentally, intellectually? Why does he say slow of heart? I have an idea. I think it's because this idea of resurrection is too big for your mind. I think it it don't fit. It does not fit in your mind that you have to believe it from your chest, that you have to be able to see God. You can't find him just with your mind. Your mind sure helps. I'm not saying just feel it all, man. Just, just, I just feel it. Just feel God. And then I just do whatever I want. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying those things are connected and that Jesus, these guys, they, they knew the scriptures because Jesus explained them in a different way to them. To them, But for us to understand the resurrection, it takes an enlarging of our hearts, of our heart. There are things that we can argue back and forth with ideas. We could, we could hit the 
pong ball or the ping pong ball back and forth all day long. Well, my idea about this is scripture says this, boom. And then somebody else, oh, well, over here it says this. Like, I'll just go back to the same one. Jesus said there's always be a poor, am- poor among us. Oh, yeah, well, in Matthew 25, he says, if you gave a cup of cold water to somebody, then you gave it unto me. Or whatever, you could fit it in there, whatever. Economics, you could say, oh, well, Jesus said, when he looked at the coin, he said, render unto Caesars what is Caesars, right? And then, but if you read the whole Torah in the Old Testament, it's about the redistribution of wealth. We could go back forth all day long, all day long, and many of us do, and find a lot of pleasure in that, and that's fine. But at some point, at some point, the only thing that will make a difference in how the resurrection affects your life is when it hits right here in your chest. You can't believe in the resurrection just with your mind and expect it to change your life, expect you to be able to see the same things in a different way. That's what this is about. Jesus talks about this kingdom of heaven, and he says, it is right here among you. He says to some, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about how you see. Do you see just from here, or is it these things connected together. The only way that the resurrection can fit inside of you right now is in your heart and mind together. Come on, amen. Come on, somebody, amen. So, he says, why are you slow of heart? These disciples, they were slow of heart, but they hadn't gotten into spiritual cardiac arrest yet. Their hearts were slow, but they hadn't stopped yet. When your heart stops and all you have to rely on left is your head, so when you start feeling something, you freak out and flip out, that's really where you're in danger. That's where the death inside of you can come out, spill out into other people. Luke 4 talks about this. Luke 4. I want us to go there for a moment. Luke chapter 4. This is Luke's first recording of Jesus in his ministry where we hear him speaking. He's doing it in his hometown. He's doing it in the synagogue. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he goes into the into the uh, synagogue and they give him the scroll, scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he unrolls it and he finds the place where it is written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll. Everybody was totally enthralled. He was speaking to a group of oppressed people, a group of people who may have had relatives who were in jail right then because they had tried to mount an insurrection against the government. And they were very interested that this man said, today in your hearing, this word has been fulfilled. They saw him and they said, oh yeah, I see God here. But then something else happens right after that. And we see how disconnected these people's hearts and their minds are. Because he reads their minds and says, hey, you probably want to see some miracles. And I'm going to say to you in verse 24, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he tells two stories. In the days of Elijah, there was a a famine. And uh, can somebody get me that water bottle right there? I have no moisture left in my mouth. Um, In the days of Elijah, there was this famine. And, you know, thank you, Chris. You know, there were a lot of hungry people. But God sent Elijah to a Gentile. Somebody not in your tribe, not in your religious community, not someone that you would think would be deserving of this. But that's where Elijah was sent by God. 
And you know, there were a lot of lepers as well in the time of the prophet Elisha, but God didn't heal none of the Israelite lepers. He healed this other dude who was actually like in the army that would potentially fight against and, and conquer Israel. And so Jesus is like, hey, this is what I'm about, but guess what? It's going to look different than you think it will. It's going to look different than, when you, than you'll think it will. And even though you know these scriptures, I'm going I'm to point out to you how different it actually is. I'm going to give it right to you, just that one little piece, so you can see how different this is going to be than what you might have expected. That I, God, am not tribal. I'm not first just for you and the people that look and talk and think like you, but I am for the world. I'm for the outcast. I'm for the marginalized. I'm for everybody that you think does not belong. I'm going to bring those folks in. And you know what those very religious Bible scholars did? They tried to kill Jesus for saying that. The death that was inside of them, the disconnect, the religiosity that informed their life came out. And it was only through miraculous means that Jesus escaped that day with his life. Their hearts were small and cold. They could not see this new thing that God was doing through the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want that to happen to me. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, Jamin, you're going to run somebody off a cliff, right? You know, no, of course, I'm probably not going to do that unless, you know, they cut me off in traffic and I happen to be like right on a, on a cliffside or something and I have a moment. Um, <laughs> dad joke, bad joke. Um, but I don't want to get so preoccupied, so proud, and so comfortable with what I see here in the text that I can't learn something new about Jesus and where he is and what he's doing. He might be doing something in your life right now and you thought it was somebody else. You thought, maybe you thought it was the devil. But maybe you're afraid. And it's okay to be afraid. I'm afraid all the time. I have fear every day of my life. Here's, here's what I think happens sometimes. Here's what I know has happened for me in my life. When, when you're confused, you get afraid. When you step into a new reality, you feel fear. And sometimes that's an indication to get out of that space, right? So when I was a, a teenager, I went to a party one time and the things going on in that party made me feel fearful. And I chose to leave that party because there were a lot of activities going on there that were pretty a good idea to be afraid of. And in fact, you probably had to be on some type of drug to not be afraid of what was happening in that situation. But here's what I think happens. I think we get, we get mixed up as Christians and we throw all these scriptures on it. We say, well, God, is, God, God did not give us a spirit of fear. So if I, fe I feel fear, then I need to jettison. I need to leave. I need to get out of this conversation, this place where people are saying things that are uncomfortable, that don't fit into my prescribed worldview. And yet I see in the Bible that constantly over and over our worldview is being smashed and broken through because God does not fit in those places. If we are not willing to sit in uncomfortable ideas, regardless of where the source comes from, we will miss out on so many things that God is doing right now in our midst. There's countless examples from church history. I'll give you one I hadn't talked about on a Sunday morning before. I'll start, start, let's start with the Holocaust, light topic, right, for early morning. The church, the local church, Germany, and the global church 
They missed it. Hitler came to power through a democracy. And the church didn't stand up against it. And you better believe they used scripture to justify their passiveness. You better believe it. Scripture was all over it. But they missed Jesus. They missed the God that says, I am here to preach the good news to the poor, to break the chains of injustice. They missed that God. How about the Spanish Inquisition where he went around and found if people were proclaiming, the, saying the right doctrines and then burning them at the stake, murdering them? How about in the Reformation, John Calvin had his hand in over 53 executions in the city he lived in, in Geneva, of people who were proclaiming heresy. A friend of his sent him letters, wanted to talk to him about this idea because he had this idea that maybe the Trinity, the idea that God is three, maybe that was heresy, that God is actually one. And John Calvin testified and brought him to trial and made sure that he was murdered because he didn't believe, he didn't say the right things. That is scary. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake right now. Yes, your personal morality is important. It's important to tell the truth about all of those things. But your personal morality, I don't know where that line ends. I really don't. And where our ability to interact and affect with the rest of the world and see Jesus all around us, I don't know where you find that line. I don't see that line in Scripture. I don't see all these boxes and lines drawn when I look at the resurrection and ministry of Jesus Christ. So just because you're certain about the way you're thinking currently and a new thing comes in and you feel scared, that doesn't mean you need to back back up into your certainty. That might mean you need to plow right into it and see what it is. Where is Jesus? Where is he? That's where I want to go. I don't want to go where everything's comfortable and certain for me. I want to go wherever Jesus might be found and what he's about and what he's doing. That's where life is. That's where life and life abundant is. And we won't ever get there if we stay in our comfort and when we fear something, we, we run back to where we are. If we even can do that, that's just because we have some privilege that God has given us. If we're able to move out of that, there's some people live their whole lives wishing they could get out of that uncomfortability, but they don't have the resources and they never grew up with the things to be able to do that. So if you've been given the option to do that, you've got to find the courage in your heart to believe Jesus is about what he says he's about, that he's about the resurrection and the life for this world. Not just for us, for the world. So confusion can, can lead to renewed clarity. Let's look at this last passage as we start to close up here. Back into Luke 24, verse 30 through 33. <clears throat> so Jesus goes in and, and stays with these two, these two followers. Verse 30, it says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts, there's that troublesome word again, burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus was talking with them. He explained, he showed them in the scriptures about this upside down kingdom, that this resurrection life, it comes through suffering. It comes through uncomfortability. It, it comes through ways that the world, conventional wisdom, it can't work for this life. It can't work for the resurrection life. If you, can't, if you say, well, this is just the way you do things. Well, God doesn't fit into that and neither does this resurrection life. And so they're hearing these things and their minds are being opened up to these ideas. And then Jesus starts to walk on. 
And we all have these opportunities all the time where Jesus shows up and he stirs things up and then he gives the choice to us. Are you going to go further with me or are you going to let me walk on? And these disciples, they call Jesus to come in. Sit down. We want to know more. We want to hear more about this confusing, strange idea about what God is doing. And that's when, that's when, in the most intimate of friendship times, in the breaking of bread, that they saw it was Jesus. When they were at the same table and their hearts connected, that is when they recognize their Lord. Are we getting close enough? Are we getting close enough to Jesus and what he's doing that we can actually recognize him? Are we inviting him home? There's a song, and I'm closing with this. There's a song uh, called Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. And there's a line in there, Jay-Z's describing what New York is like. And, he's, and he says this line, he says, and J Jesus can't save you, life starts when the church ends. And that's true. What I mean is, if you try to keep Jesus right in here, he can't save you. Life starts when this ends. And you gotta have heart. You gotta be able to break open that heart and give it to God if you want to leave a resurrection imprint on this world with your life. Let's go, church. Let's go there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in, in our church's hearts and minds, what you're doing outside of these walls in the, in the global church, the ways that you're moving, and the things that you're doing, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you, and that we would start just by being uncomfortable in conversations, in, in letting, letting things progress as we look for you in places we might not expect to find you. I pray that you give us the strength and the heart to do that, that we would focus on the resurrection, the life made new through you in Jesus Christ. Amen.